0: This morning, reading taken from uh, John, the first John, chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, on page 1224, 1224, is about the incarnation of the word of life. That which was from the beginning, which was we heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the words of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the internal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you, what we have seen and heard, so that you also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship with, is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the word of the Lord.
1: One of the most powerful ways to share your faith is to testify to what God has done in your own life, to what, to what you have seen and what you have heard with your own ears and touched as you have been a follower of Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what the Apostle John is doing in today's reading. He says, look, I only write about that which I have seen with my own eyes, heard with my own ears, and which I have actually touched and felt and experienced. And this morning, as Victoria and I say goodbye to this wonderful church that we've been a part of for so long, I'm thinking and want to testify to what I've seen with my own eyes and heard with my own ears as a member of this wonderful church family. I've grown in my love of the Bible and my understanding of it through literally hundreds of awesome sermons I've heard preached from this pulpit. I've grown in my love for God and often found myself standing in his presence as we were led in worship by our wonderful and amazing musicians and singers. I've seen countless prayers answered. I've seen lives turned around. I've seen the healing of minds and bodies, including my own. I've been called on and encouraged by the generosity of this church family the generosity that you show with your time, with your talents, and with your money, and I've seen with my own eyes and heard with my own ears the vast difference that your generosity has made to this church, to the surrounding community, and to our mission partners. And I, I thank God, and I've been sustained for and rejoiced in the wonderful, sustaining friendships that I've made here. Friendships that will endure long after we have left Blackheath. But far more, as I thought about this morning's message, and I could give so many other examples, but as I thought about this morning's message, I thought we would all be far more interested to hear the testimony of St. John the Evangelist if he was standing here instead of me. And as I looked at his gospel again, his writings, I thought, well, his faith journey has so much in common with my own, and no doubt with many of yours, too. He, too, had to overcome doubts. He had to overcome opposition. He had to overcome ridicule. He had to overcome disappointments, and so much else. And as I thought about him, I thought, well, you know, I think that I would like to step into his shoes. And so, inspired by his words inspired by the Omar Ammergau passion play, inspired by some wonderful monologues, uh, Bible monologues, Christmas monologues by Colin Smith, I thought, well, just for once, I would like to step into St. John's sandals and share my testimony, his testimony, in his own words. And before I do that, let us pray. Father God, as we listen to the words of your servant John, to his testimony... I pray that you may open our eyes and our hearts to receive whatever you have for us this morning. Well, in my time, people had many different ideas about Jesus, just as they do today. Some thought he was a great preacher, others thought he was a prophet, others shrugged their shoulders and uh, just didn't didn't have any special opinion, and some just simply didn't want to know. It's always been like that. Well one day Jesus asked us who we thought he was. And Peter came forward and said, "You are the Christ, you're the son of the living God." And by that time, we had all come to the conclusion that he was indeed the Messiah, the promised one of long ago. But it's what happened the following week that put it beyond all doubt for me. Jesus was going up a mountain and he said he was going up to pray and would would James and Peter and I come with him. So we went up. It was a fair old trek getting up that mountain. And when we got to the top, we rested while Jesus prayed. And you know, I will never forget. I fell asleep, by the way, and I never forget what happened when I woke up. When I opened my eyes, Jesus had totally changed. He was transformed. He was luminous. He was radiant, brilliant. It was as if the sun was shining through his very being. In fact, it was so bright that we couldn't bear to look at him directly. You know, there's only one word to describe what we saw, and that word is glory. We saw his glory, and we knew that we were standing in the presence of God. Well, then we saw a cloud approaching. Now, there's nothing unusual about a, a cloud approaching when you're standing on top of a mountain. But this cloud was different. This cloud came and enveloped us completely. It was absolutely terrifying. We were inside this cloud. And we heard an audible voice saying, This is my son. Listen to him. And, you know, we knew it was the the voice of Almighty God. I'm telling you now, I'm telling you what I saw and I'm telling you what I heard. It was the voice of Almighty God telling us, that we had to listen to Jesus, and so did the whole of humanity, that he was, in fact, the Son of God. Well, I I fell on the ground, and so did Peter, and so did James, and I felt so unclean. I'm a sinful man. I was a sinful man, and I thought, well, you know, I deserve to die. I mean, we've always heard that God comes down in in a cloud of glory, and he can't stand sin, and I thought this was the end. But suddenly it was all over. And I felt a tap on my shoulder. And it was Jesus saying, get up, don't be afraid. And as I looked up and I opened my eyes, I could see the cloud was gone and the brightness was gone. And there was the familiar face of Jesus that we all knew so well. And I knew at that point that God was made flesh in him. You know, it's completely beyond my understanding how someone who had such glory... Could come down as a human being like you and me and live among us and invite us to call him his friend. Well, not long after that, we were all in Jerusalem for the great feast of the Passover. And Jesus had arranged a special meal for us. And um, it had been a long day and we hadn't properly washed up. We just went as we were. And Jesus got up from the table and started washing our feet. Now, I can't tell you how embarrassed we were. We were so embarrassed because here, here he was. Can you believe the Son of God washed my feet? It, it, it gives me goosebumps just to think about it. But then he did something. He said something amazing. He got up and he said, you are clean. And we knew he wasn't talking about our feet. Clean, me clean, a sinner. with. There's so much wrong with me. I've done so many things that were wrong. And he said, I was clean. An amazing thing about Jesus is that whenever you were near him, you felt that you still had so far to go, that there was still so much that you needed forgiveness for. But at that moment, I knew that I had been forgiven. I knew that I was clean. And my life was never the same again. Anyhow very soon afterwards uh, we had well I was sitting next to Jesus at that meal during that meal and uh, he so much happened there's so much and you can read all about it he spoke to us for a long time but at a certain point we saw a great darkness come over Jesus great sadness and we noticed it and uh, he suddenly surprised us all by saying I tell you the truth one of you is going to betray me we were shocked I mean dumbfounded we said Lord is it me is it me is it me and Peter caught my eye across the table he said look he mouthed he said ask him who it is so I leaned up against Jesus and I said Jesus who is it and Jesus said to me it is the one to whom I give the piece of bread after I've dipped it in the dish then he took a piece of bread, dipped it in the dish, and handed it to Judas. And as he handed it to him, a very dark look, a terrifying look, came over at Judas. And Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, go and do it, and do it quickly. Well, the others didn't know what was happening. They probably thought that they couldn't hear, and they probably thought that Jesus was telling Judas to go down to the corner shop to get something. But I knew because Jesus told me about the handing over of the bread. Then Judas left and Jesus Jesus spoke to us for a long time. And you can read what he said during that evening in my gospel. And then we sang a song and we got up and we accompanied him across the valley to a garden called Gethsemane. And once again, Jesus separated Peter, James, and me from the rest of the group and asked us to come with him to watch and pray. Well, we went with him and I must admit that I was feeling sleepy and I didn't hear what Jesus prayed. We went with him. He went a bit further. He started praying but I didn't hear it and and the only reason we know and the the reason I didn't hear it is because I was asleep and I wasn't the only one. Peter and James were asleep too. And... um, but there was a young man who had followed us, and uh, he, had, he heard, and that's why we know what Jesus prayed. Mark doesn't mention himself in his gospel, but he was there, and because of him, we know that what Jesus said is, Father, if it be possible, may this cup pass from me, but not my will, but your will be done. Well, after that, we were woken up by the most terrible clatter and noise and and a great mob was approaching and they were waving sticks and, and clubs and swords and they had come to arrest Jesus. Would you believe it? The one who radiated such glory, arrested, bound, betrayed by a kiss from Judas and then bound and led away like a common criminal. We've just fled for our lives. We were scared. And the next day, Jesus was crucified. They crucified him. And I I was standing at the bottom of the cross below. And I can't explain, I can't give you words for the terrible suffering that he endured. But I can tell you what he said as they hoisted him up on the cross. He said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. And as his suffering increased, he said, I thirst. And they brought him a sponge that was filled with wine and vinegar. And they put it on a stick and held it up to him. It was sort of a primitive anesthetic that they used to use. and A kind of mild anesthetic they gave to those who were enduring the ter- terrible suffering of crucifixion. Barbaric it was. But he wouldn't take it. It was as if he had to experience every dimension of his suffering. And as his agony increased, he looked down with compassion on his mother, Mary, the woman who had carried him in her arms. I was standing next to Mary, and he looked down at us, at her, at me, and he said, Mother, behold your son. And then he looked at me and he said, Son, behold your mother. You know, I can't tell you how I felt. There are no words to express how I felt that He who was God had entrusted the woman who had borne Him in her womb into my care. Well, after that, the sky grew dark. I'm telling you now what I saw and I'm telling you what I heard. The sky grew very dark, and Jesus' suffering seemed to enter a whole new dimension. It looked, it felt as if all the demons of hell had gathered around the foot of his cross. And he cried out, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? My Lord, my Lord, why have you forsaken me? And then the brightness, the light returned. And I knew that it was the father who had reassured his son that he hadn't forsaken him. And shortly after that, Jesus said just one word he shouted it teteleskai and it was, which in your language means it is accomplished and he said it with authority he said it with determination and shortly afterwards he said father into your arms I commend my spirit and again he said it with determination as if you know he said it as if he was willing to say that, he was strong. I've seen men die before and they've always, death always overcame them. But Jesus was not overcome by death. It was as if he marched into it and laid down his life on his own terms. Well, after that, we all went back to our house where we were staying in Jerusalem and we were confused, lost. And then on Sunday morning, we were woken by the most awful howling and wailing that was going on. And it was Mary Magdalene at our door. And she'd come and she was saying, they've stolen his body. And, you know, Peter was out like a shot. And so was I behind him. And off we ran to the tomb. And I tell you what we saw. The stone had been rolled away. And as we looked inside, the grave clothes were lying there, just folded but Jesus was gone, and Peter looked, and I looked at each other, and, that, and we knew that he was alive. Well, we were scared. We thought that the mob that had come after him would now come after us. So we went to, back to the place where we lived, and we locked ourselves in an upper room to discuss and to think about what we would do next. But that very night, Jesus came th- through the walls. I don't know how he got there, but there he was standing there, in front of us. And he said, peace be with you. And as we looked at him, we saw that the wounds on his hands and the wounds on his feet and the great wound on his side where a spear had been thrust into him. And he said, as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. Now I'm telling you all this so that you will believe that Jesus is God, that he's the Son of God, that he's the Savior but you know, there's just one more thing that I need to do before I go, and then I will go. I need to answer a question. The question is, why did he come? And I can answer that question with a single word. It's a, a word I often use in my writings, and it's a word that Jesus used again and again during his earthly ministry. And that word is life. We're all looking for life, aren't we? We all want life. Although we don't quite know what we're looking for, we know that we didn't come into this world just to eat and to sleep and to learn and to work and to love and to play and to grow old and to die. We know there's more to life than that. And we're all searching for it, and there's a longing in us. And you know, it's God who has placed that longing in our hearts. And the only way we can fulfill it is by following Jesus. He said, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. He also said, and I've written it down, you know, I am the resurrection and the life. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So in Jesus, there is life. And even if I say these words, there's eternal life in him. But even if I think of eternal life, I know that many of you don't know what I'm talking about. You think of eternal life, many of you, as an asset that you sort of add, that will kick in after you die, like, like a life insurance. You know the, You know the sort of thing. I have a four-bedroom house, a newish BMW, a lovely job in the city, a good pension plan, and eternal life. Well, eternal life isn't like that. Eternal life is first and foremost a relationship, a relationship that starts here on earth and that will last you for all eternity. You begin your relationship here with God. As you get to know Jesus, as you get to know the Lord, you enter that relationship with him. You, know the, you suddenly know the difference between knowing about God and knowing God. Well, I lived for another 60 years after the resurrection. And then one day it came, became my turn. I faced my own death. And can, do you know what that was like? You know, it was like walking through a curtain and being in the presence of the living God. I'm, I can't tell you about it. I'm not allowed to tell you about it. But even if I did, if, even if I were, you would never understand the joy that is associated, that comes with dying as a disciple of Jesus, it's a joy that is in, indescribable. And you know, the trouble is that in, on Earth you can never—it's so far beyond any human experience that you could never understand it. In fact, you will, on the, while you are alive here, you will never know the meaning or the full, un, fully understand either heaven or hell. I've seen both, and I can tell you. I can't describe the indescribable joy that Christ has saved you for, nor the indescribable sorrow that he has saved you from. And you know, if you trust in him, then you should follow him. There's another word which you have trouble. If you believe in him, we often say believe in him. But you know, a lot of people don't understand what believing means. They think believing is some sort of giving intellectual ascent to something that we can't prove, that so we haven't seen. Well, that isn't what believing is. Believing, to me, to Jesus, is a commitment to follow. Because it's only when we follow him that we can understand him. That, it's what happened to me and James, my brother James. Jesus said, follow me. And we followed him. We dropped our fishing nets. We just went after him. We trusted him. We didn't have any idea who he was, really who he was. But it's only as we walked with him and followed him that we began to understand and to grow and to learn to live his way. And today, if you are here and you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, follow him. And there's no better time, if you haven't started following him already, there's no better time than right now, on this Sunday after Easter, to become his disciples, to follow him, and to live his life. If you know him, there is no greater call on your life than to spend the rest of your days following him. Well, that's my story, and that's, it's what happened to me, and my prayer today is that it also happened to you.